This is the Ezra Podcast. And we're going to talk today about Teofimo's upset loss to George Cambosos. Who I've been messing up his last name, honestly. I've been calling him Cambos or Cambosa. It's Cambosos, which is honestly a cooler name than both of those. And George Cambosos, Cambosos, I'm already screwing it up. See, I'm already confused myself. George Cambosos. Who, when I ranked the 135 matchups, I'm talking about Devin Haney versus Jojo Diaz, Lomachenko versus Comey, Tank Davis versus Isaac Cruz, and I had Teofimo Lopez versus Cambosos, number four of those rankings. The only thing below was Ryan Garcia versus nobody. That was the only thing below it. That's how much of a chance I thought Cambosos had. I didn't think he had any chance. And it wasn't without evidence. It wasn't just me going off the name or, you know, the going off the Teofimo hype. It was just going off past performances for him. Because I thought he lost the fight coming into this one. I thought he lost the fight to Lee Salby. And I didn't think it was... I didn't think it was a, a close fight, honestly. Now, was it a competitive fight? Yes. But I thought Lee Salby clearly won the fight. I thought he outboxed him. And everything else I've seen, it was like a fighter that was kind of limited coming forward. Like, I thought that he was uh, aggressive coming forward, but kind of limited. As I watched him after the fight, right, after him beating Tiafimo, I saw things that that I saw in the Teofimo fight that worked and that they were working in other fights. But I wasn't paying attention to those because it, it, it wasn't exactly where his effective offense was coming from. Like in the Lee Salby fight, where he was going to get, looking to be effective, right, and his offense was coming forward. Lee Salby schooled him though when he came forward. I thought he outboxed him. Same thing with the, with the Bay fight. So when I go into this, I had the, Perception that he's gonna have to come forward on Tiafimo. And Tiafimo's an excellent counterpuncher. And he's explosive. And he has power. I just thought it was a bad formula for him. But the part that I was not paying attention to was the defensively going backwards. Campos was pretty damn good. He was pretty effective in all his fights. And his movement, he's pretty athletic. And his left hand, his jab, is pretty damn good. And Tiafimo Lopez went in there. To push him back. Teofimo Lopez went in there to knock him out. And I think that Teofimo Lopez, when studying him, was seeing him coming forward. And I don't think that he was afraid too afraid of it. But I don't think he was noticing everything happening when Teofimo, when, when Cambosos went backwards. I don't think any of us were. I think that it just... Not the fight we were expecting. And to me, if Tiafimo was watching him, he was seeing everything coming forward. That's what he was scouting. And then when he pushed him back the whole time, I, I think he got a look at something that he wasn't paying, ready for was that Cambos was fighting backwards and how good that was. And how fast his hands were. And how fast his left hand was. And Cambos fights just an excellent performance going backwards. And he never has to go forward the whole fight. And I think that, honestly, that benefits him. Because him going forward, I think, is very limited. I think that's where I see most of the weaknesses, and that's where I saw in the Salby fight, that he lost. That's when he tried to come forward. He got outboxed. But TFM never made him do that. TFM just went forward. He went in there looking to get the stoppage. Almost got it at one point. Didn't have, for some reason, anything left in the tank at that point to do that. But 
He didn't have anything left in the tank really in the Lomachenko fight till the last round. So maybe this was on brand of what Tiofimo is. Tiofimo is explosive. He's, you know, a devastating puncher. Um, great timing. Great reaction. But maybe he has lulls in his energy. And he's not going to be a consistent fighter through a full 12 rounds. Because he wasn't in this fight for sure. And he wasn't in the Lomachenko fight. And he wasn't in the Nakatani fight. So he's starting to see the evidence of it. And the most performances where he fought good, he did good early. Even in the Lomachenko fight, he did good early six rounds. And then struggled the last six. And that's not me just saying it now. I've been saying that. I thought that that fight was close to a draw. No, I, I gave, I leaned it to TFM because I thought he won the last round. But it was close to a draw for me. And that's because Lomachenko took over all the second half of that fight. Now we have, you know, stories coming out today. It was a, a beautifully written story on uh on Boxy scene about Tiafimo's personal life, right? And things going into this fight. And the things he was going through. And there's a thing that I, it made me think of, right? Is that it's not a problem when you're winning. But when you're losing, it really you it really stands out. And that's what's happening here. Because I'm going to be honest with you. If, if he won this fight, you wouldn't hear any of these stories. Not after this performance. Not after that performance, right? You wouldn't hear it the next day of everything going on in his personal life. Now that he lost... Now it allows those stories to open up, right? You can really take a look in and, and it makes sense to write those stories now. Now, is that the reason why he lost? Honestly, in boxing, most of these guys' lives are pretty tumultuous, right? They're pretty up and down. They're, I don't think he's the first guy to go through a divorce before a fight. The first boxer to go through a divorce before a fight. I don't think he's the first fighter to have a rocky relationship with his family. I don't think he's the first fighter to struggle with money before a fight. And... I think if you added all those, the percentage up of people that go through that and still win the fight, I think the percentage is pretty high. It's just that he, the it's just that the outcome allows all that to come to light, and allows you to put the microscope on him. If you would have went in there and knocked down the first round, you're not. No one is bringing any of this up. But he didn't, and his dad had one of the worst nights being a trainer ever because he didn't have to get any sage advice. He was so bad that I think we're looking over Joel Diaz, who was pretty damn terrible in the Brandon Figueroa fight with this corner advice. Now, I'm not saying that Joel Diaz isn't good in the training camp. And I'm not saying that uh, T. Fimo's dad isn't good in the training camp. I don't know. I'm not seeing that. But from what, the parts I'm seeing, I thought they both gave pretty terrible advice. It's just that T. Fimo's dad was so awful, terrible nonsense that he was spewing in the corner. It just outshined everybody else. And now Tiafimo was in a situation where he fought a fight that wasn't the biggest fight he could possibly get, right? And, you know, who knows if that fight was out there. Maybe the immediate rematch of Lomachenko would have been a better direction. But he lost a fight at 135 to a guy that, you know, was a considerable underdog. And he can't get a mandatory rematch because it was a mandatory shot, right? He can't get an immediate rematch because it was a mandatory shot. So now he goes back top rank without his titles, losing all momentum, and probably going to have to enter into a new weight class. But I think the new weight class is the best thing to happen for him. I think the new weight class enters a storyline that, you know, allows us to get away from 
you know, the performance that he just had, right? A new weight class where he's leaving a weight, a division where he did win most of the titles, right? It is a controversy if he, if he was undisputed or not. I think all titles are pretty much stupid and they're, they have dumb rules and we punish the fighters for the dumb rules that they, they have for the titles. But he can go into a new weight class with a new storyline, with a new contender that that weight class definitely needs. With a, a champion in there that is, you know, is one of the best in the world. And Josh Taylor. And Cambosos now is a prize to be bid on for all these guys. Now, I see a lot of people saying Tank. I don't know if Tank does that because Tank, they don't look like they care too much about the belts. They care about mega fights. They care about money. They care about making him into a star. And I'm not saying that fighting Cambosos wouldn't make him a star or wouldn't help that cause or winning the titles wouldn't help that cause. But the price tag might not be worth it for Javante selling most of the pay-per-views. Now, what I'm looking at is Lomachenko, Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia. And I think Ryan Garcia is going to win it. And I think that people are just kind of looking over him or laughing at the idea of him fighting him. Let's lay it out, right? Lou DeBella, as soon as they win the fight, says that it's a bidding war. Ludabella is a small business promoter. Ludabella develops fighters. He picks a select few fighters, looks to develop them, and get them to a point where he could cash in for the fighter and himself. Ludabella isn't in the prime in the spotlight all the time, but he's very experienced in the boxing business, and he knows the right time to cash in. This is the right time to cash in. You are not going to see Cambosos. Which what Top Rank would do was now give him a tune-up fight. And hopefully like a place that where he has a good fan set, right? That's what Top Rank would do. That's an old-fashioned business model. But DeBell's not going to do that. DeBell's going to cash in on what he knows he has now and get his fighter a good payday, right? Get him a good opportunity and get his promotion a good payday. And it's the correct way to go. Look at what happened to Yafimo. Gets a big win over Lomachenko. Has to wait all this time. I and mean, I don't necessarily think it was a bad move waiting, you know, for leaving top rank to get a bigger payday. It just didn't work out. It wasn't a bad move at the time when he got it. I mean, we were all like, you can't pay how much to fight Camposos? It just didn't work out. But to say that now it's a bad move, it's hindsight. It wasn't a bad move. And he still got paid pretty damn good, just to, even though he lost this fight. The outcome wasn't what he wanted, but the pay was still better than it was going to be. And especially including the pay he got from Triller. They still had to pay a portion and probably lawsuits to follow. But now Cambosos, right? He's gonna it's gonna be a bidding war for him. Now top rank has gone cheap when it comes to bidding wars, right? It's not they're not the ones that put down the even though they just did for Terrence Crawford and Sean Porter, but remember they probably lost money on that, so they're probably not gonna be in a hurry to do that again. So I'm gonna say let's eliminate Lomachenko. Let's eliminate Tiofimo, who's probably not gonna come back to his weight class. And I don't know if Campbell has any interest of fighting him again. So I think that leaves Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia. And if we're being honest, right, and I know people are saying, well, Matchroom has the money. Matchroom couldn't make Mikey Garcia progress because the zone wouldn't pay for it, the amount of money that it needed to do. So they still have to go to the zone to get the money here. And Golden Boy has to deal with the zone. And they have the star. If you're talking about Devin Haney and Ryan Garcia, Ryan Garcia is the star. In that, in, in that, uh, if you're comparing the two. 
And they could go to DAZN, who has been more willing to do pay-per-view, and definitely going in that direction, and say, I have your first pay-per-view. It's Ryan Garcia versus Cambosos. And this is a, ch a chance, right? Because why, why does this work out? Is First of all, Cambosos would love the payday. DAZN has faith, Golden Boy has faith that Ryan Garcia, in a big fight, is going to generate a lot of views, a lot of looks, a lot of attention, and a lot of money. Both fighters look at each other as vulnerable. Both promotions look at each other as vulnerable. If you look at talk about Ryan Garcia, if you ask anyone's perspective, he's the most vulnerable guy of the top guys at 135. Some guys think he's absolute trash. I think they're incorrect. Now, I think he has obvious flaws that we call C, but I think he has also obvious abilities that a lot of these guys don't have or not guaranteed to have. If Ryan Garcia lands clean on you, the fight is over. He's also has probably the fastest hands in the division. But like I said, he has the look of people think he's vulnerable. And everyone's going to think Campbell's is vulnerable. Everybody, the perception is he just upset a guy that went in there and had all these struggles making weight, personal struggles, and just didn't show up and had some of the worst training ever. They have all these things. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how good Campbell's is. Because what I've seen him going forward, when he has to make the fight, he didn't look great. But I see him going backward and he looked pretty damn good against TFMO. He looked really good. I cannot make out if he's good or not good. Or if it was just an upset or just a... a one-hit wonder i can't make out honestly it's going to take a little bit more studying a little more breaking this fight down to know i i when i seen the fight again it looked a lot more impressive the second time around fighting tfimo like the, when i watched it over again the next day it was impressive the stuff he was doing the athleticism the speed of his hand the jab to the left hook the jab also like the way um tfimo was overreacting to the jab makes you think that there's a little zip to it it's not just like a light jab it's a, he has zip to that jab because Tiafimo was really reacting to it, really getting off balance. And if you look when Tiafimo jab, Cambosos wasn't doing that. He would just use a shoulder roll. He does some really skilled things in it. I'm not sure how good he is, but I know that people think he's vulnerable. They think he's probably the next guy to get him is going to get all those belts. Golden Boy wouldn't mind getting all those belts around Ryan Garcia. Matcher wouldn't mind getting all those belts and getting undisputed for Devin Haney. Either outcome of that. Either that, you know, if Devin Haney gets it and Ryan Garcia gets it, either way, they face each other for all the bouts. And that's a massive pay-per-view. These are all building in the right direction. And Matchroom uh, purchasing the fight, right, putting it on his own, it couldn't have worked out better with Cambosos winning. Because I think they're in the driver's seat to get him next. And we're going to find out how good he is. But remember, Devin Haney has Jojo Diaz next weekend. I'm not necessarily sure he wins that fight. And we're talking about the four kings. I don't necessarily think we lost one. I think we gained another fighter. I'm not sure we lost. I don't think we lost Tiafimo. I think Tiafimo is still a damn good fighter. I think maybe has to change, make some changes in his camp. But I still think, I see the talent there. And if Cambosos, the way he fights, if he can fight like that consistently, he's probably going to be in the picture for a while too. He looks pretty damn good. I don't think we lost anyone here. Now, I think TFM was going to go 140, but I think all these guys are eventually going to make the move 140. I don't think anyone's where it's like, oh, they could have fought, but they weren't in the, way, the same weight class anymore. The only one that seems, you know, not probably going to miss the boat with these guys is probably Shakur. But Lomachenko's still right there, 135. Uh, David Haynes at 135, but he'll eventually move to 140. Ryan Garcia eventually move to 140. And Tank's definitely going to eventually move uh, once again to 140. So I, I don't think that Teofimo finding these guys is out of the window now. And I don't think Teofimo's done. I think there's, the talent's still there. Um, 
I think they came in, he came in too eager to get the knockout right away. I think he would that, you know, as the fight, you know, like as the training camp goes on, right? And as the preparation for this fight goes on and it keeps getting pushed. Cambosos is just worrying about Tiafimo. He's not thinking about anything else, right? He's not thinking about anything else. He has nothing beyond that point. He doesn't beat Tiafimo. The paydays are not just waiting for him. It's all he's focused on. And TV film can focus, focus on him when there's three months till the fight. But when you push the fight six months, when you push the fight nine months, you push the fight a year, he that suddenly gets closer to his next fight, which they were talking about Lomachenko, which they were talking about Josh Taylor. Suddenly, he's not just thinking about Camboso. Suddenly, he's a year from now, right? He's starting from a year not fighting. He has to think about Cambosos and the next guy because he's got to say, okay, I got to beat this guy and then I got the next guy because I'm missing out on paydays here. The thing about boxing is like when you miss a, a certain chunk of your career, you're missing out on paydays. You can't just squeeze those back in. Sometimes you can't make up for those lost time. So that's what he's thinking of. And that's why they had the dad meeting, uh, showing up for the Lomachenko fight, saying that fight was next. It's, now his mind can't just focus on Campbell. So he has to focus on everybody else. There's plenty, I'm sure there's plenty of, of factors that uh, played into this. None of it matters. Every fighter has to go through something. He lost his fight. I thought it came down to the championship rounds. I thought that Chris Max's scorecard was was perfect. And if you know, we've been critical of Chris Max. We've all been critical of Chris Max's scorecards. I think we gotta give credit when it's perfect. That was a perfect scorecard. He scored the fight perfectly. It came down to the championship rounds, and Cambosos had more left. And now we see how it plays out. And don't be surprised. And I'm saying people are you know overlooking it. Ryan Garcia gets this fight. Don't be surprised. Now imagine Ryan Garcia gets this fight. Imagine Jojo Diaz beats Haney. Imagine the, 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 in the driver's seat that Ryan Garcia would be in. Or the Ryan Garcia Cambosos winner would be in. Now imagine Tia Fimo goes back to top rank. He could he has a, a, plenty of options at 140. Plenty of good fighters there. Um Jose Cepeda seems to the, the one that seems really obvious to me, especially if they're still going to go with the Josh Taylor tuna fight, Zapata one who coming off a first round knockout. That seems to make the most sense. Josh, uh, Jose Ramirez makes a lot of sense too. It's, it's you know, definitely a, a bigger 140. And I don't know if uh, Tufima wants to go, you know, that crazy into that weight class like that, where he's going to go against one of the top guys like that. I think Zapata is kind of viewed as. A little less of a threat of the three, still very good, but of those three, Josh Taylor, Jose Ramirez, Jose Cepeda has to be pictured as you know lesser threat of all those three. Still a damn good fighter, still a tough test, still a tough fight. But that's where I pictured um, T. Fimo goes from here. That was a great fight, right? And then you, it's one of the best weekends of boxing ever. You have Stephen Fulton versus Brandon Figueroa. And a fight that led to some controversy. And it was a fight that two guys had really earned getting to this position. Two guys that weren't just brought up against cupcakes. They were brought up against undefeated fighters. They were brought up against tough competition and really earned their way here. And so, so uh, in fact, they did a kind of a tournament to get to this spot for the 122-pound uh, champion. And Stephen Fulton, who I've been saying, when he had to come out of the... Um, Leo fight with COVID, I thought it was like such a missed opportunity for him because I thought there's no way he doesn't win this fight. And it was 
going to be his chance to, to, to break out. And I really thought, I was like, man, if he misses the opportunity, I don't know if he, you know, hopefully he gets it again. And he did. They got it again. And he did do exactly everything I thought he was going to do. He he was a proven guy. He was a guy that, that, when he goes to the ring, he knows what he has. He's very secure in that. Same thing with Brandon Figueroa, because they've been tested in the ring. A lot of these guys do it, but they're not tested in the ring, so they don't know what they have. They don't truly know. They have to find out. These guys don't have to find out. They know what they have. That's what made it such a great fight, is that both guys knew who they were in there. Now, I think Stephen Fulton made this fight harder than it had to be, and my proof of that is the 11th and 12th round when he boxed. And Brandon Figueroa could not touch him when he boxed. The thing is, Stephen, uh, Stephen Fulton, and a lot of people won't understand this, and they think, you know, oh, why would he go to war on purpose? Sometimes it's not necessarily on purpose. It's just your mentality is, um, sometimes the mentality of the fighter makes what type of fighter he is. And I think Stephen Fulton could do everything in the ring that he possibly could want to do. He could box, he could counterpunch, he can go to war, he could fight on the inside, he could pressure you, he could do everything. But his mentality constantly gets him into these kind of fights. Because the Leo fight, he did not have to be in like that. He didn't have to be on the inside fighting like that. In this fight, he did not have to be on the inside fighting like that. He does it because that's in his nature. That's his, that's his nature. He can't even, he couldn't change if he wanted to. That's his mentality. And I knew that even if he had fought on the inside, the reason I had picked Stephen Fulton in this fight is because he could do more things than Brandon Figueroa. He fought at more ranges. And that's what he did. He beat him on the inside. And I understand that Figueroa was getting in there and working and people were saying like he should have credit for more credit for what than he did. But it was it was not hard to see who was landing the cleaner shots. It was Stephen Fulton. It wasn't hard to see. Now I heard someone say that he had got that he thought Stephen Fulton got rocked like five or six times. I think that's nonsense. He got rocked once. And the weird thing is that Brandon Figueroa took his foot off the gas the one time he rocked him. And it was the only time he took his foot off the gas the whole damn fight. I don't know why that was. Maybe the energy to get that shot with to get everything. I don't know. I couldn't explain it. But he took his foot off the gas the time he did hurt him. But I'll tell you what, the round that he did get hurt, right, Stephen Fulton, and he clearly hurt, I still scored that round for him. And you might call me crazy. How, how could you do that? Because I thought he worked outworked him later while hurt. So what am I, because he's hurt? Because he's hurt but landing punches, I got to give it to the other guy because he's hurt? That doesn't make any sense to me. He's landing punches. He was outworking him late. He outworked him early, got caught, and while hurt, outworks Figueroa. I had it a wide margin for Fulton, and people saying, well, it can't be that wide. How could you have it that wide? Because we all admit, we all agreed there was a competitive fight, and even if you think every round was close, well, then if every round was close, I can go one way with every guy, uh, one guy every round. So I could, if, if every round is close, I go go wide uh, Figueroa. I can go wide Fulton. They're, the logic of that everyone has to be close in their scorecard because the competitive fight is untrue. And I think it's a repetitive thing that we, you know, like boxing nerds and boxing, like true boxing fans keep repeating. But because we keep hearing the same arguments from people that I don't think are watching the sport consistent, consistently and understanding the logic of the sport. Stephen Fulton's amazing. And there's a lot of talk about rematch. In both fights, I think the the other fighters going up. This is TFM Lopez going up. I think Brandon Figueroa's going up. And I think that the, this was the highlight moment of Brandon Figueroa's career. And I'm going to call that now. Right? I want credit for that now. I'm not rooting against him, but I'm just going to... My experience of boxing, right? My experience of watching it. My experience of doing it. I've seen Brandon Figueroa before. And he's winning because he could take the shots. Because his shots mean a lot, even not the big ones, because of, he's able to get down to the, he's able to cut the weight because he's young. 
but he's not going to be able to cut that anymore. And he can't cut it, I don't think, anymore from this fight on. I think he's struggling to get there. And he's going to have to go up to 126 now. And his shots are not going to mean as much. And he's not going to be able to withstand all those shots that he withstands now. And that style is not going to get better defensively. Now, I was thinking maybe he could add a little more range to his shots. Which he had it in moments against Fulton. Where I think it was his most success, uh, success came from when he started earlier from a farther range. See, a lot of times a fighter like that, I would say his brother, Jared Hurd, uh, Chavez Jr., which kind of reminds me of a little bit, not necessarily style, but just the advantages Chavez Jr. had at 160. They walk through shots to get to his offense, and they have to be on you to get to the offense. What I thought he did in this fight is he... As he's walking walking Fulton down, he would throw punches from that distance as he's getting closer. That would kind of keep Fulton at home. He couldn't exactly, Fulton couldn't exactly get off right away. It kind of, with the reach and everything, it, was kind of, it, was, it would be trouble for Fulton. It wasn't done consistently, but there was success with it. And I would say that if Figueroa was going to have any chance to fight, he would have to add that range consistently. He hasn't. And if he's going to go up in weight class, he definitely needs it now. He's going to need it more than ever to fight at a range. Because he cannot just come in and walk in through shots and not against bigger men like that. I think that he's going to go to uh, 126 and not be impressive. And I wouldn't be surprised if he loses the next fight. Especially if they give him someone tough. Now, maybe they won't do that. People see smart. They know how to build a guy and bring him to the weight class. And Figueroa did good for them and fought a lot of good fights and tough fights. Right? Fought who they put in front of him. But they might give him a few gimmies. But as soon as he fights someone's tough, I think he's going to have a hard time. And I think that this win is going to be hard to judge in the future how good it is. You know, and fights aren't always the, wins aren't always way the same. Over time, they either get worse or get better. And this one's going to be hard to judge because I don't think he's have a lot of success at 126. Just like when Chavez lost to Sergio Martinez, and then Chavez goes on and fights and loses to everyone, every other weight class above. It's hard to say, like, was that a good win for Sergio Martinez? It's hard to say. It's going to be hard to say at one point for this fight. Right now, and knowing what Figueroa brought at 122, it's a great win. It's an amazing win. It might not look that when you go to 126, but you have to understand that at 126, just like Danny Garcia at 147 is not the Danny Garcia that was at 140, it's not going to be the Brandon Figueroa that was at 135. Another uh, freak show that happened... Right, another uh, thriller event was the triad, and I want to talk about this quickly. Just I watched it, my thought process on it, my, my thoughts of what they did and how, how they handled it. First fight, right? So what they do is they're, they're doing uh, boxing versus MMA, and they're keeping score like each you know win by decision three points, win by knockout five points. Uh, Shannon Briggs, Quinn Rampage, the, the um, coaches for each side, really just mascots. They're not really coaching anyone. Uh, just mascots, right? And they're building up a fight for them in the future, it looks like. And it's a nonsense uh, promotion. It's a nonsense um, the way they, they present it. It's all of it. It's nothing, right? Now, it's done, none of that matters as long as the product is good. So they give the first fight and they have a pretty equal, right? MMA guy with more wins than he has losses, but he has a few losses. Tough, right? And they have a boxer and he has, I think, like eight wins, two losses. Not like a top prospect, not nothing, just, you know, he can box. This guy can fight MMA. They go at it. It's a good competitive fight. The clinch um, thing is interesting at that point. 
over time, the boxer uh, is beginning to win in the clinch very easily. Uh, over time, the class is beginning to show, especially if it's just dependent on punches, then the boxer has a lot of advantages. And the fighter, the MMA fighter, just kind of moving forward, just struggling with the shots as the boxer's going back. I thought that, that this fight was the best example of what they had, right, as a triad. Uh, the boxer ends up winning decision. I thought he won uh, clearly last three rounds. I thought that this fight kind of showed what the triad could be. And I was like, okay, this is a good product. I, I kind of like it. I was entertained. MMA fighter had some good moments early. Uh, there was the clinch. I did notice that the boxer was better than the clinch, just like it, Floyd was better than the clinch and Conor McGregor. It was something that was looked past, but it, it was the truth. He was better than the clinch in him. So I thought, okay, I, I like that fight. Now, did that fight give everything away? Is the boxer always going to win over the rounds, right? He might be competitive early, but he will figure out the clinch. And also, the clinch is more realistic to boxing, right? A boxing clinch than it is, you know, in MMA where you can land an elbow in there or you can get low on the hips in a clinch, right? You can press someone against the fence by holding their, holding their hips, the arms around their waist. This clinch wasn't foreign to the boxers. That's the thing that people think like, oh, boxers aren't going to be able to clinch. That's not foreign to them. And especially in sparring, there's a lot more clinching and fighting than people realize. So then what they do, and I start catching on, is they bring in a person, a so-called boxer, right? Air quotes on boxer. And they bring in a girl that's 0-4 boxer. And then they bring in a top prospect. I'm, I mean, I don't know, UFC prospect, but just a prospect, an, an MMA uh talented fighter and they say okay boxer versus MMA but it's not really a boxer because you know it's all in four not no really success in boxing uh proven success and I'm not saying you can't like listen I'm all in one as a boxer I think I'm all right I think I'm pretty I think I'm skilled right so I'm not saying there's, there's not some all in one boxers that can't be good or all in two boxers that can't be good I'm just saying that this lady wasn't good by boxing and the MMA fighter was better boxer than her it's just a better fighter than her because this person wasn't a fighter. So she smokes her. So, okay. And then I'm like, that's weird. Why would they do that? Then I see the next fight and it's something similar. They had a guy that had fought Roy Jones when Roy Jones was old and was looking, you know, probably went to like, you know, Florida and got, fought a nobody to get a win just to entertain the crowd. And they put him in with a, uh, a MMA fighter who's pretty decent with the hands. I believe it's Tumanoff. And... Tumanoff wins. He doesn't, you know, do anything like knock him out or, you know, anything like that. He just kind of wins. Just just more crisp of the punches. And the, the Broncos are like, well, this guy's talented at boxing. This boxer has talent. He fought Roy Jones. And they're lying to you, right? They're trying to lie to you of what this fighter is and what the MMA fighter is, right? They're lying to you to make it seem like, oh, look, this guy's out boxing a boxer. And that's where you kind of lose me, right? You're losing, you, you, you lose the boxing fan. It's because you're lying to them. They're not stupid. They watch the sport. They're boxing fans. And you're trying to put the MMA fighter in a position to win. Then you go to Brian Vera, and he walks in. He looks like he has a limp. And he, he, he goes to war. And it's a good fight. It's entertaining. It's a, it's, it was an entertaining fight. But it was entertaining as far as tough man competitions go, right? There's, it's, it's entertaining as that. And so, so on rinse and repeat, right? boxer that isn't very good versus an MMA fighter who still has something left in the tank or a boxer who's old versus an MMA fighter with still something left in the tank and that's what you get and so the MMA starts taking the lead and I still think that the first fight is the best example of what they have here 
And then you get to Matt Mitrione. And he fights a, a boxing heavyweight who had just lost to um, Luis Ortiz, right? In a fight that a lot of people were suspicious of or just felt this guy quit in. And Matt Mitrione does drop him at one point. And I'm not, still not sure if they counted it a drop or they counted it as a trip. I, I'm not sure. I don't think even the commentators are still sure to this day. But Matt Mitrione, over time, has nothing to offer this guy. And this guy is just piecing him up. And I'm telling you, this is not a high-level boxer. This was, I still believe, in another position for Matt Mitrione to win this fight. And he could not. And he's just clinching him against the fence. Like, not trying any offense at all. And it made me think about UFC and MMA and Bellator, where the guy would do that and probably win a decision if he could just clinch you against the fence like that. But in this, that's not how they're scoring it. They're scoring it by the hands. And this guy's able to land shots on the inside, even in that clinch, the Metrion can't get the angle for it, that this guy can because he actually trains boxing. He actually works on that. Then we get to the main event, right? Matt Metrion loses that fight. Then we get to the main event, and it's Pulev versus uh, Frank Mir, and this is the main event, and, you know, Frank Mir hasn't been really an effective MMA fighter in a while. Um, he did get a fight with Steve Cunningham on one of the thriller cards, and Steve Cunningham... To, I mean, to my understanding, and I don't know if anyone else understood this, just worked with him, like a sparring session, like a light sparring session, and didn't go in there to kill Frank Mir. Apparently, this that performance, right, uh, gave Frank Mir tons of confidence, and Triller tons of confidence in him. And they put him in there with Pulev, who, not a old, you know, heavyweight that used to be a contender, no, he's a contender right now, who just fought Anthony Joshua, and was kind of considered somewhat of a threat to him that's what they put him in with and I mean at this point I know the clinch isn't going to be effective enough for Frank Mayer and I know this is about to be bad for Frank Mayer and I know that any MMA fighter they probably put in there with Pulev in those rules set it's going to be bad for but especially Frank Mayer and Frank Mayer goes in there and he has nothing to offer Pulev and Pulev at one point just pushes him off the clinch and then he hits him with vicious shots. Anything he wants. And at one point, he just kills Frank Mir standing. And Dan Murgulata, who's never seen anything like this in his life. You know, the thing is with the MMA trainers in a boxing fight, I just think well, you're setting them up to, you know, in a bad spot. But he he never seen anything like it. He never seen a man die standing before. So Pulev knocks him out on his feet. And it's clear that Frank Mir... Is cannot defend himself. He can't even talk at this point to say, "Hey, I can't. I don't want to do this no more." He he's a he, he is not in his body. And Pulev just walks towards him like, "Okay, if you want me to finish it, I will." And then finally, Dan Morgularo says, "Okay, okay, no more." Right? He out of just fear and realizing that Frankman can't talk, he's knocked senseless. They stop the fight, and that's when this thing just kind of. You realize that this had no word. There's, there's nowhere for this to go. Because if you bring a world championship fighter or a, a world, you know, a, 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 at least a high level boxer, the rules are not enough change to for it to favor an MMA fighter or even make it even. It doesn't make it even at all. The boxer is going to win. 
because it's just a boxing match. Because be honest with you, Fulton Figueroa used the clinch better than most guys used it in that whole thing. What, what they were advertising the triad to be with the clinch and the fighting, Fulton Figueroa used it better in their fight. That, that was the purest form of that. We already had that in boxing. This isn't any difference. So if you bring a high-level boxer, he's going to win every time. And that will sit. If you bring just an average boxer, he's going to win every time over the seven or five rounds. He's going to win. So it, can the sport just be a low-level boxer, the one you never heard of, or an old man that can, can barely walk on his legs versus current MMA fighters? Is that going to be interesting? And will it be interesting enough to bring like, just two MMA fighters versus each other? Doesn't it need that gimmick? When I look at the business of Triller, it reminds me of uh, mistakes I think a lot of businesses make. And I see it in construction, and I work in construction. You, you don't have a, a brand yet. You don't have a following. You don't even have a, a concept that works yet. But they're throwing a lot of money. And they're throwing a lot of noise and fireworks and performances and concerts. They're throwing a lot of nonsense at you. Before even having anything. They don't have anything yet. It's not started grassroots. It's not started with a passion for the sport. They're bringing giant, spending a lot of money when they don't have, even have the attention of anyone yet. They don't even have a, 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 a base following. They don't even have... A, a, no one even has an understanding of the sport or a, a passion for that sport. or They don't have nothing. They're just throwing it out to you. And it's not going to work. This doesn't work. Now, what could they do to make this more interesting? Maybe add body kicks. Not leg kicks, but just body kicks, right? Um, I would say, you know, allow the fighters to, to hold the clinch more, I guess. But that's just going to lead to non-fighting. From what I see from the Matt Mitchell own thing, that's, that's all that led to was just him not fighting. Just being able to hold and save himself from being punched. It doesn't work. And you can lie and do the... Which is this one where you can just put like crap boxes versus MMA fighters and let them get wins, but that's not going to work over time either. All these gimmicks eventually come to an end because that's what they are. They're gimmicks. That's why they're called gimmicks. And I don't think you could spend a bunch of money and afford to lose a bunch of money to build something. That's not how it works. That's not how the UFC did it. The UFC started small. They, they competed. They fought in you know bars in Kentucky and build a following and then build a brand. You can't just, oh, boom, here's everything. And that's, you know, that this is going to grab your attention. And I'm going to do these expensive shows over and over and over again. And keep losing all this money until I build a following. It's not going to work like that. They don't have a real thing. They don't have a real product. They have a gimmick. And they keep throwing out new gimmicks and new things. And it's never going to work, ever. And I am thank God that the Tia Fimo fight and the Stephen Fulton fight were on the same night to get the bad taste out of my mouth. Now, I'm glad Pulev won, and I'm glad it was another showcase, you know. Uh, you know, boxing is... Uh, it's my first love, boxing. Of all sports, it's my first love. So I really, you know, I don't like when people disrespect the skills of a boxer. But I also don't like when an MMA fighter is put in a position where he has no chance to win, right? And I like Frank Mary. He's able to, you know, he he's always been a guy to challenge himself or... You know, was kind of ahead of the game when it came to the hands, especially in the heavyweight division UFC. And I just don't think that um, I have no interest in watching. Also, MMA fighters just get smoked 
by pro boxers in the rule set that really favors the boxer. I have no interest in that. I think I like the UFC because it's the UFC and that's its own rule set and form of fighting. And I like boxing because it's boxing and that's its own rule set and form of fighting. I'm not too interested in mixing them anymore. This has been the Ezra Podcast.